Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. In the early 1970s, the idyllic Broberg family fell victim to a predator. Over the course of a number of years, Robert B. Birchtold would target almost every member of this Idaho family in order to kidnap Marianne and Bob Broberg's eldest daughter, Jan, not once, but twice. In order to retain control of this family, Birchtold would use mind games, sex, and other predatory schemes to terrorize the Broberg family. Their story is now being told in the new Peacock limited series, A Friend of the Family, starring Jake Lacey as Birchtold, Anna Paquin as Marianne, and Colin Hanks as Bob Broberg. What exactly is your relationship with Robert Birchtold? Well, he's, he's practically a member of the family. Good morning, Brobergs. Good morning, Brother Good morning, B. B. Good morning, Jan. It's going to be a great day. Hey, who do you love the most? Brother B. Brother B. Brother B. Tell you the truth, a man like you, a father and a church leader, I've wanted to be friends with you from the moment I met you. Really? I almost feel like we're two sides of the same family. I look at you and Marianne, and sometimes I wish I had the kind of marriage you have. On today's episode, I spoke with both Colin Hanks and Jan Broberg about this incredible story. Now, I have to tell you, when I first saw the Netflix documentary about this case, Abducted in Plain Sight, I was blown away. It's one of those true crime stories that just leaves you yelling at the screen. Not just at the actions of the predator, Birch told, but sometimes even at the actions of the parents, Marianne and Bob. And the limited series does a great job in capturing that exact same spirit. As, you know, Hank says, a friend of the family is able to tell a deeper story, give you sort of an inside look, something that the the documentary just couldn't do. And it's it's beautiful to watch, I have to admit, also very disturbing. Another aspect of this story is the role of Mormonism in all of it. While watching the series, for some who don't know Mormonism, you'll think, why would anyone believe these things that Birchtold is telling this young girl, Jan? But as a former Mormon, I instantly understood why Jan would believe some of these things, and I was able to talk with Jan about those things, in addition to what it's like to move past childhood trauma. Honestly, I'm still trying to process my conversation with Jan. It was it was just that good and, and, and really sort of eye-opening in a lot of ways. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back with first my chat with Colin Hanks, followed by my chat with Jan Broberg. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I watched the 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 first episode. That's all they'll let me watch, and <laughs> it is fantastic. It is all so right. good. It's it's oh. it's just as gripping as the documentary. And I remember when the documentary came out, I was like hooked by this story. <laughs> like the, it's just such a wild, insane story that like is almost unimaginable. I mean, how did you react to it? It really is. Well, thank you uh, very much for the kind words. I, I, I had very much a, a similar reaction. You know, uh, my, my introduction to the story was actually through the first three scripts. Mm -hmm. And then I and then I heard about the documentary that no one actually said like, oh, there's also a documentary. It was like after I was having these conversations talking about what an insane story this was, yeah. someone then said, oh, and there's a documentary. And I'm like, I've made documentaries. You didn't tell me this. I know. What do you come on? Um, and so after reading those three, I watched the documentaries and yeah, I mean, very much the same sort of reaction. It, it, it is such a complicated uh, interweaving story uh, between this family, this husband and, and, and wife and, and daughter and the other two daughters as well. Yeah. And this man, yeah. And it, 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 it's odd because, you know, I, I've been off in Atlanta making it for uh, for the past seven months, whatever. And um, people say, you know, so what's the show about? And I say, well, it's about a man who kidnaps a, a young girl twice. But like, that's not even the craziest part of the yeah. story. Like. It, 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 there, there's so much story here yeah. that, um, you know, it, it makes, I, I think the, the, I think the show has a little bit of an advantage that, that the documentary did not have because we have the time to be able to tell it in its detail and, and more importantly, the why, which I, mm -hmm. I, I think is, is the most gripping part of the story is yeah. that, that there is so much that happens and, and really, you just want to know why? why? Why did this happen? Why did these people make these decisions? So, I mean, so yeah. many layers of why, too. Why? I mean, why would a, a young child believe the, the story that this is being told to her? Why would the parents make the decisions they made? Mm -hmm. Why would yeah. they even allow? I mean, my boyfriend and I were joking about how, like, this is why you don't be friends with your neighbors. Because, like, I mean, we look like <laughs> I don't know any of my neighbors. And it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I don't want them over at my house. Like, it's, I mean, yeah. there's so many whys that happen. And it's, yeah. it's really, it's really fascinating. And you're right. The show does a fantastic job of allowing you to get into those sort of intimate moments that the documentary, of course, couldn't do because they're, they're telling the story 30 40 years later, whatever it is. And yeah. 
it's it's uh in what way in telling the story and having you know knowing everything that you know how do you find that balance between playing this character and you play the father of this young girl who's kidnapped twice how do you find this balance between playing the character authentically while also like finding your own space to sort of put your own stamp on it you know what i mean yeah uh well to be honest this whole um experience you know uh, uh playing bob roberg has really been an exercise for me in going completely 100 out of my comfort zone mm. um from the moment i read the scripts there was there was so much that made me not want to do <laughs> the job and it made, made yeah. me not want to take it on because there's the man's faith, his Mormon faith, which um, can be a challenging thing to describe. A lot of, you know, a lot of people have a hard time understanding that. Yeah. There's his own um, sexuality, for lack of a better term, but yeah. I mean, he, he's very much a man um, conflicted on a, a number of levels. Um, and it involves, you know, his location in, in Idaho in 1972, his yeah. faith. His, his sexuality, his marriage, his uh, uh, his relationship as a father. There are all of these components. And I was just overwhelmed with fear that I just, there's no way that I could possibly be able to convey any of those things. And, um, and then I just sort of looked at myself and just said, well, yeah, so that's what this job is going to be. So like, go for it. And so I... I mean, I grasped at, at straws um, to try and, and figure out what I could do to bring Bob to life. I mean, the, 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 the crutches that I leaned on the most um, were obviously the, the, the hair and, yeah. and the look. Yeah. Um, you know, this was definitely a chance for me to really get lost in the look of a character, which I've not, uh, not uh, often had a chance to do. So that was... Uh, something I said, okay, well, that's exciting. I like that. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I did uh, a bunch of research ab about, uh, you know, the Mormons and their history and their faith and, and their outlook on the world and their relationships amongst each other and, and their family. Um, and, you know, found a lot of positive in that, yeah. found some other stuff that was, uh, yeah. you know, up, yeah. up for discussion. Yeah. Um, but, um, really, I, I, I just sort of said that this is going to be one where I can't, there's there's nothing that I, I, there's not a scene in the series in which I looked at the scene and said, OK, what would I do? Yeah, I had to say, what is Bob thinking in this moment and how would Bob react? It's a very basic premise. Yeah. Like, yeah, you should do that on every job, by the way. <laughs> but 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 this one was it just it involved an entirely different approach. And, yeah. and like I said, I mean, I, I did everything I, I, I could. I, I filled my trailer with, you know, Mormon affirmations. I oh. I picked cologne that was of yeah. the era, you know, just literally anything I could just to feel like I had done enough work so that when I was on the stage, I could just worry about the text and the emotions and know that everything else was there. Because ultimately, the one thing that is connected that we do have in common is that we're both fathers. Yeah. And, you know, we're both incredibly protective, you know, incredibly uh, protective of our daughters. Although, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that, uh, that Bob did that, um, 
yeah. is unfortunate and, and, and questionable. And so I, I just did everything I could to just try and explain the why mm-hmm. of why Bob made all those decisions. Well, I was so, I mean, in, in, in sort of even setting up this interview and, and sort of, ta- and I'm talking with Jan too, and, and just sort of going into sort of like this story and going deep yeah. into it, you know, Jake Lacey does a fantastic job as the character of B who, yeah. who, who is the kidnapper and everything, but there's almost, I feel like the most nuanced character are the parents of these, of, mm-hmm. these, of this girl, because on, on one level, you know, the kidnapper is just the kidnapper. He has one motive, which is to get to the child. Whereas parents have to go through so many emotions. And in the documentary, I remember thinking, I remember empathizing so much with Bob and the, the struggle of being the father and the provider and the masculinity of it all. And also being completely emasculated in the process of this whole ordeal that they had to go through. And it's, I mean, I'm sure that stood out to you. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that was, you know, obviously something that, that I, I kind of had to wrestle with when, 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 when looking at, okay, well, how am I going to do this? Because that's the last thing a- anybody wants, and specifically someone in, in his position. You know, there's a lot about the, uh, the, the, the Mormon family dynamic, if mm-hmm. you will, in terms of the patriarch of yeah. the family and very specific rules, you know, and how we feel about those rules is another yeah. conversation to be had. But that is the fact of, of how those, you know, uh, you know, how those households are. Especially and back so then. Ha- back then. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you take that, you take into account what, what the Mormon household is like. You take into account, this is 1972 that this yeah. begins. You take into account that this is a husband and wife that have three daughters they have seemingly the very idyllic life. He's a florist. She's a stay-at-home mom. All of these things. But then you break into account then, well, there's the Mormon congregation that they're, that yeah. they're very close to. They become very close with this family. All the, you know, what great fortune that this nice family has moved in, uh, you know, up the street. And then all of these, you know, predatory moments happen yeah. between B and the Brobergs. And it's very specific. He goes after the daughter, mm-hmm. the wife, and the husband. And all three of the Brobergs are wrestling with their own issues at that time. And B, B preyed upon those. And so dealing with you know Bob's struggle with his own masculinity, his own status in the household, his status within the Mormon church, which yeah. is very important to him. All of those things are wrapped up in the why of every decision he made. And there are a lot of bad decisions that he made, but then there are, there are good decisions that he made um, at the end. So it, 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 it all makes for an incredibly detailed and rich story that, that really, you know, I mean, it was, it was hard to, 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 to hard to be in that mind yeah, <laughs> hard to be in that 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 state for for months at a time. But then again, I just remembered. Well, these poor people. I mean, they were going through they this for it. years. So, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the religious the yeah. Mormon aspect of it. So, I was raised Mormon, and so like in watching it, I, I I'm no longer Mormon, but I related to the the things that stood out as quote unquote weird to a lot of people weren't so weird to me. I mean, like the whole yeah, you know 
not alien, but like extraterrestrial sort of celestial kingdom element to it. That's very much a part of the Mormon faith and the process in which how Mormons sort of communicate within the family structure and how the the father, the role of the father and the role of the mother and what we do and how it is very much the idea of allowing a, a sort of a stranger that isn't a stranger. He's in your community. He's a Mormon, but he's still a stranger allowing them into your life and the daily aspects of your life is exactly what Mormons do when we invite the missionaries over to come talk to us about the Book of Mormon. It's, yeah, it's, I, but for you as an outsider to Mormonism, I wonder what did you learn about Mormonism and did it sort of change sort of your outlook on Mormons in general? Um, yes, definitely. I mean, I, I had a, a sort of very um, loose knowledge of, you know, of, of Mormons. I, I didn't know anything really, you know, I knew generally their history, yeah. um, but I didn't know the, the, the specifics. And so, you know, I, I obviously uh, uh, studied up on, on, you know, the actual specifics of the history and, and you know, where it was founded and the migration and, and all, all of those sorts of things, settlement in, in Utah and, and whatnot. And so there was, you know, the historical component, which is very rare to be able to, to uh, 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 you know, learn about a religion's history and have it be so relatively not new. long ago. Yeah, yeah, re- yeah, very new. Um, so there was that, and then you know there were certain things that um, obviously stick out as 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 very very different. But then there are certain things where I go, okay, well, I can see what the equivalent is in other religions, and so th- this sort of all tracks. Um, you know, within a way, I think what struck me the most and was the most helpful in regards to helping tell, uh, you know, our story, the Broberg story was family and just how what emphasis there was on family. The idea that it is baked into their faith that one one night you're going to have a family night where you're going to yeah. put do puzzles and play games and, and yeah. you know, and, and and and, you know, things like that. So the w- once I got into that sort of understanding of just how important that family dynamic is mm-hmm. um, and seeing how it pertains to the Brobergs, yeah. um, that was incredibly helpful. And, you know, to a degree also, you know, down, down you know, a, a, as we got into the weeds of, uh, of the story and, and really got into some, some, some dark, heavy stuff, it was also very helpful to understand, well, you know, this is one of the reasons why Jan Broberg would make these decisions that she did, because she yeah. was taught at a very young age, you listen to what the older men say. Yeah. They're going to always tell you the truth. Yeah. And, and here is a predator who took advantage of that. So, you know, all of these different components, I think, helped answer a lot of those why questions for me um, so that I could at least understood why they made those decisions. Uh, I can also say I know why they didn't question those answers yeah. because of uh, uh, b- because of the way that they were raised. And, and you know, that, 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 that is what it is. There, there's, that really there's is not it. much you can say about that. that- yeah. In terms of like, you know, when you when you watch it and you, so often you're watching it and you're like, you're, you're screaming at the TV being like, why would you do this? Why would you let your child? Yeah. But it's more what you when you understand sort of how the Mormon family structure works, you understand why they wouldn't question certain things, why certain things yeah. wouldn't stand out as strange to them. Whereas to other people were like, no, 
Absolutely. But, you know, I think overall, you know, mostly and, and we we spoke a little bit about, you know, together, you know, prior. We, we spoke a little bit about the uh, Mormonism, but really what it came down to was the wants and needs and fears of Marianne, Bob, yeah. and how B preyed upon those. Mm-hmm. And that's really where a majority of our focus is, you know, throughout the course of, of, of the season. And that, that's not too dissimilar from, from the documentary, you know, uh, Robert Burstold really preyed on Bob and his insecurities and the things that he was struggling with and, and, you know, emotionally blackmailed him uh, as, as he did with Marianne. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, so those, those struggles you can relate, uh, those struggles are very, you know, evident, you yeah. know, uh, you, you don't have to understand it, someone's faith to understand when someone is preying upon their weaknesses, you know, from an emotional standpoint, exactly. uh, you know, as opposed to the sort of theoretical, you know, thinking through someone's faith or, yeah. or any of that sort of stuff, you know, he, he was playing with both of their hearts. Well, and to have, I mean, it is, it is very intimate, sort of a lot of the things that the the, the direction the story goes in and to have Jan sort of there as part of the, I mean, she produced it as well. And sort of to have, yeah. was she a resource to you in sort of explaining this character of Bob and sort of maybe answering how, why he would do some of the things that he did? You know, she was very helpful, I know, to uh, to Nick, uh, you know, the uh, our writer and, and showrunner, and, and uh, she was very instrumental in getting him information. And, and you know, they was they, they were very, very close, uh, along with Marianne, and, yeah. and sort of uh, helping give uh, Nick the better understanding of, of you know, the, the, the who, what, where, why of, of, of the story. Um, but Jan, I, I will say, was uh, was incredibly sweet. When I got to Atlanta, she she left me a, a note that was just the most loving, kind yeah. note. It, you know, I arrived very scared as to what I was, you know, getting myself into. And she said, "You are the exact, you know, perfect person to play my father. I couldn't mm-hmm. be more excited. I'm here if you need me." Yeah. And was very it was it was it was exactly what I needed, yeah. which was. You're exactly where you should be. I'm so happy to have you. I'm here. Have fun. Go yeah. for it. And so I reached out to her um, on a few occasions, you know, and would just ask her uh, if there were certain phrases that she remembered. I asked her what music she she remembers uh, uh, hearing in, in the household uh, uh, growing up and stuff like that. Um, but at that stage, I, I, I was sort of, I didn't want to get too into it yeah. with her. I, I, I felt like, obviously, I, I you know, I, I knew the story. I, I had done a, a bunch of research and, and um, I just wanted to let her and her family know that I was going to treat her father with the utmost respect and try and, and tell his, try and tell his story in a way that they would feel proud. So. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's a powerhouse of a woman. And the fact that she's also an she actor, really is. probably, she, she understood your process probably in a lot of ways. I, and that was incredibly, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful uh, for her to, to just even be understanding that, just yeah. understanding that sometimes we just need the, sometimes the actors just need to be told, you're right where you should be. I'm yeah. here if you need help. 
go at it, you know, go for it. So totally. it was, uh, I was very fortunate. In, well, in I have to pivot with my last question because it's something that's near and dear to, um, well, me, but also my boyfriend and many other people. It's 20 years since Orange County. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's and that's, and that's a gem of a film. I, every time I watch that film, I mean, it's a wonderful film. Mike White directed it. I mean, fantastic. Like, or he wrote it. He wrote it. He wrote it. And, and it's, it's such a perfect script. But then when I watch it, I'm like, how did this cast come together for a film like this? it's just such a wild <laughs> I mean, it's such an acclaimed cast and the film yeah, is so silly looking back on it like do people still react to you about it and it, it was kind of like one of your first oh, yeah. projects oh yeah i mean look you're bringing it up 20 years later there's a lot of stuff i did 20 years ago that people aren't bringing up so <laughs> uh so yeah no it it, it, it is a, a special thing you know the thing that uh, I remember thinking a lot when we were making it, and I and it's still true to this day, was what I loved about that film was it wasn't about getting invited to the party. It wasn't about hoping to get the girl. It wasn't about any of those sort of trivial uh, adolescent things. It was about a kid wanting to go to college and wanting a yeah. better life. Yeah. You know, not the trivial kind of thing, but wanting the better life. And while at the same time, not realizing the good life that he has. Yeah. And that I thought was a very um, a timeless uh, uh, experience that, yeah. that people have, uh, that kids have. And I remember thinking that then. And, and, and I think that that is one of the reasons why that movie holds up as well as it does. And I think yeah. it's the reason why, we, we ended up having such a great cast because it was so true it, it while also being incredibly funny. You yeah. know, Mike White wrote a, a, a very, very funny script that was probably one of the most fun scripts I've ever read. Yeah. Um, and, and Jake Kasdan uh, was just so, uh, is so talented. And I've, I've been able to, to do a, a couple of other things with, with, with Jake recently. Um, He's just such a talented director and knows how to, uh, you know, really craft all those performances and, and sort of have that sort of big picture constantly in mind. So I, yeah. I, I'm incredibly fortunate uh, to, to have been able to do it. And we are all incredibly fortunate that uh, somehow people are still talking about this movie. So yeah. I'm, I'm just tickled by it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking. I have to say, I interviewed your dad a couple months ago for Elvis, and I feel like this is the year of the Hanks for me now. I need to get all the family <laughs> done in one right. year. Interview them all. Uh, there you go. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'll be right back with my chat with the subject of the limited series, Jan Broberg. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. When I first saw the documentary, I think I saw it the day it came out because I, you know, I'm a, I, I just I enjoy documentaries, and right. I was so struck by this documentary on so many levels that I instantly was like, this has to be a television show. This has to be some sort of series, and now it is. And now it is. I know. Isn't that a wild ride for my family and 
unexpected and so wonderful to have a chance to tell it again in a more full yeah. way, yeah. you know? So, yeah. It's That's pretty- what I wanted to ask you. Like how it, I mean, for actors, of course, it's, 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 of course it means something to them, but it also is, you know, they have to detach themselves a little bit and you're, you're an actress too. So you understand that sort of yes. the need to detach yourself from some things, but like for you, it must be so hard to, or I don't know, hard. What was it like seeing this project sort of, come to life and your life really be recreated? You know, um, I honestly was so taken care of by the producers, the directors, the cast, the showrunner, writer, executive producer, uh, Nick, that I knew that my story was going to come across and be fully told in a rich way that would literally help people relate because this is the most common kind of abuse. It's the abuse by someone, you know, someone that you love, that you already trust. You're not looking for it. And grooming is so incredibly subtle. So, and, and it's a long game. It's a long burn. And so for me, I, it has been surreal. And there have been moments where of course I've been emotional or, just remembering like when I packed up some of the costumes for to send to set just you know articles of clothing that we still had from that era just because it was sitting in a box or downstairs in a trunk somewhere and I had these and I and I saved a lot of my mother's beautiful clothes she always dressed like you know Jackie Kennedy she always was so well dressed (laughs) that there were certain things that when she was like going through the closet getting rid of things I was like oh no I could use that in a play yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I kept a few things but when I pulled out this little dress that my sister Susan found a bunch of clothes that she had saved and it was the dress of her first grade school picture. And that was the year that we met Birch told. Wow. It was so sad to me mm. to see that tiny little sweet, innocent blue with lace dress. Yeah. And that's when I cried. It was interesting. The moments that really brought emotion and, and realization because I've so detached not detached from my story, but I, I've told it so many times in order to help, you know, move the needle so that people will start looking and paying attention to those closest to them, which is a terrible thing to have to teach the public or (laughs) to say, but that is where, where the majority of abuse lies. And so I've told it so many times that I, I don't get that emotional anymore. I'm not triggered. I've had some good counseling, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, taking care of myself and Fine. I've had a wonderful life and I had wonderful support. I have wonderful sisters that were close, you know, to this day, my parents were so, you know, loving and they listened. And so I had those 12 years, you know, even the years with the Birch Tolds were, yeah. were so much fun, you know, yeah. and so wonderful. And it was Camelot. <laughs> I say yeah. it to everybody. And then it wasn't one well, day it all changed. Cool. That's what's so interesting about, I mean, one of the things, and I'll just on a personal level, what I responded to the story so much as I also come from, there was abuse in my family. And I remember yeah. watching it and being like, so take it wasn't of course it wasn't at the level that you experienced which is i don't think it, it was on a fully different level but it it i related to it because it abuses a slow burn like you said there's oftentimes we want to tell these flashy not flashy stories but the the sudden bouts of abuse or it just yeah. came out of nowhere but it doesn't because it 
it comes from a place that's normal, that's safe, that's mm-hmm. there's something there. And I remember it's so interesting you talk about the dress because I thought about when I was a kid how there was this this package of like lifesaver gummies that I would carry around with me because my I didn't live with my mom. I lived with my dad. It's a long story. There was lots of abuse back in all kinds of crazy things. And yeah. I remember being taken aback by the, the scent of the gummies, the, the lifesaver gummies. And to this day, it kind of gets me. Yeah, it, there's that. Then the, those things, those little triggers can right. really sort of set you off because the trauma, even though you can get all the help, you know, and you sure. can have lots of support, it stays with you. And yes, I, I wanted it to does. know if you could speak to that a little bit about sort of how you live with the trauma. Yeah, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to speak to that. And I'm so sorry for what happened to you because it, your abuse isn't any less. Yeah. That is the reason I've told my story is that I'm like, this is so common. My story is crazy enough that I think that that it was worthy, I guess, of, of being put on, on film yeah, and TV. But the common thread is that it is somebody you know. It mm-hmm. is usually somebody you love and trust. Yeah. And you know, at the very least an acquaintance, a sports coach or a, you know, school teacher or, or, you know, but it's close. It's not far away. It's not, Oh, I heard of Jan Broberg's story. I Mm -hmm. guess there's abuse in the world. No, I know a story. I have a story. It happened in my family. It happened to me or somebody close to me, you know? So the way I think you have to learn to live with the trauma, I like to describe like there's this beautiful record that we all are born with. And it's that happy child that the world is their oyster and they, they don't walk, they run. Right. And that music is going and going. And then somebody puts this huge scratch on the record. Mm. And so how I like to describe that is the scratch doesn't go away, but your ability to pick the needle up and move past the scratch, mm-hmm. you can get really good at that. Yeah. And that's where the hope is. And so I've had many other, you know, beautiful periods of my life. I have a beautiful family. Mm-hmm. I, I get to do what I love, yeah. but I've had to learn to move the needle past the scratch over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again, because yeah. otherwise it would just keep scratching there, right? It would keep, the, mm-hmm. and, and so I think living with trauma is partly um, a choice that you make to get the help that you need if yeah. you're in a dark place in depression or, or you know, um, having thoughts of this ain't yeah. worth it, I'm not worth it. You yeah. gotta identify that's not okay, I am worth it. Mm-hmm. I do deserve to be happy, there is hope for me. And then find your healers, find your path. And it may take a long time, it may take a number of people. And yeah. like I said, the scratch may come back at a different point in life. Oh, now I'm married, now here's a new scratch to figure out because yeah. I don't have the right you know, equipment that I need to have uh, this relationship in a healthy way. So. Where's the counselor for that? Oh, now I'm having a baby. Oh, gosh. Now this has brought up another set of things, you know? So I think that's the trick is that you find various healers, healing paths along your way. And you, first of all, have to commit to yourself that you're worth it. And that's a lot what gets stolen from a child when they're abused. They lose all their confidence. They because it's it's one of the tactics. If you can be um, if you can put them down, if you can Mm -hmm. make them think that that the, you are their only source of, you know, um, appreciation, joy, or anything yeah. really. Right. It's yeah. just, it's an interesting 
psychology behind abusers, especially that are close to us, because they know they have to get other people out of the way to yeah. get to their victims. So they groom everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, what I think when you mentioned that about, you know, the people being able to relate to your story, I mean, as a storyteller, I mean, I'm also creative that I right. think we're, we're here to sort of, you know, our stories aren't necessarily unique, but in your position, like you have the ability to tell a story that then others can relate to. So it's like, it's almost like your mission to tell the story and then yeah. others to receive that story and hopefully process it so that it can help their lives in some yeah. way. Yeah. That's you know? exactly how I've felt. I've felt that way really since my baby was born, who's now a big, hairy, 33-year-old man. <laughs> and when he was born, I remember just looking at him and thinking, oh, my gosh, how do I protect him? How do I, <sighs> how do you really see it? Because you don't see it. It's not a red flag. I hate that term. It's yeah. a small, subtle little sound wave that might hit the back of your neck. And yeah. your hair stands up for a second. And then you're like, oh, that's ridiculous. That guy got teacher of the year last year or whatever. Yeah. But it, that's what it is, right? Or yeah. you're eating potato salad at the cookout or the family reunion with this uncle that everybody's kind of like, something's off. But oh, let's not look over there. Yeah. You don't look because it's too awful, right? But you, we got to look. Yeah. So I um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, so the reason that I keep telling my story is because it does have the power to kind of transcend, you know, mm -hmm. certainly generations because this is in the 70s and now we're still in 2022 and we're still fighting the fight, right? Yes. Abuse yeah. has not gotten better. It's four out of 10 kids yeah. that are sexually assaulted before they're, they're, considered adults at 18. That's a yeah. lot of people. And they're running around as adults, right? They're us. Yeah. And so how do we really do it? We tell our stories. That's why creatives are who they are. They're constantly telling stories. Yep. And through that, you learn things, you, you see things that maybe you wouldn't see before. That's the point. Mm -hmm. So like, we have now released the Jan Broberg story, a new book yeah. that has more details and more things in it. And, and people are like, why do you keep doing it? Aren't you tired of reliving your trauma? And I'm like, no, I'm kind of past that. Now I really am doing it because it's a mission. I'm starting a foundation because I believe the people that didn't get the support that I had need an online community. They need to go somewhere yeah. where others have experienced what they have, where they can talk about their story. They can get some advice from some experts. They can have a therapist come online in that community and give some some verbiage and some yeah. language because when you know what it's called, Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it steps out of the emotional trauma into yeah. sort of a more scientific, factual thing that happened that you can separate from. Yeah. So those are the reasons that I keep telling the story in the book. I have a new podcast that's just launching this next week yeah. as well. So I'm super excited oh, about that. The so. so we've been really busy, like finding various ways to tell the story and to tell other people's stories well, because that's where the healing starts and connecting in other different in different ways like you said i mean one in four are are abused in some capacity before the age of 18 and it it sort of hits me in a way that like we're just living our lives you know what i mean we get angry sure. at someone for doing something annoying in a parking garage or like online or strangers mm -hmm. annoy us for whatever reasons but it's like I think it's a really sobering and I think healthy thing to do to step back and be like, like a Kathy Lee Gifford, which I love to sometimes make fun of Kathy Lee Gifford, but yeah. she has this song that says everyone has a story, but everyone does have a backstory and you don't know where people are coming from and you don't know why people do the things they do, perhaps because of the things that happen to them in their lives. Exactly. There is a whole chain reaction. There is 
something to that. And everyone does have a story. And even if if you aren't the victim of the actual abuse, the people yeah. around the victim are victimized. Yep. They also have a story to tell. Like my sisters, you know, my best friend, Caroline, who was there through all of it. She's like, you know, I didn't realize that, that I was affected. Yeah. You know? Well, that's yeah. what hit me from the documentary was yeah. I was so I was so moved by your father. I have to say, I mean, your whole family was, I mean, incredibly sort of. Uh, my father is so tender. <laughs> I mean, what a man. What I, it's it it hit me on so many levels because I too was raised Mormon and yeah. I Oh really? Oh yeah. interesting. And so I related what was so interesting is I told so many people to watch the documentary and then of course yeah. now the, the the limited series. And I I uh, their reactions, because they're non-Mormon, was right. they didn't understand some things. And to me, some of the things that that he was doing to you, that Birchall was doing to you, your abductor, was it made sense yeah. to me because I understood the Mormon sort of theology and I understood sort of Mormon basis for understanding. And I understood why you as a child would sort of be persuaded by a lot of the things that he, because he was using your own faith in a lot of ways and your own sort of understanding of the world against you. It, right. It just, it blew. And the fact that like your family who is so wonderful and so, <laughs> So giving of themselves and your father and how they their their goodness yes preyed upon uh -huh. to to be used and abused in a lot of ways it really right. it was fascinating but it also was heartbreaking right and I think there's a connection between pretty much any religious person and and. Yeah what they experience as how can a child which it, it is impossible that's why i think we spend too much money and time trying to teach our children we teach our children you yeah. know terms and their bodies and that they're wonderful and that you know they get to be in charge but they aren't going to be able to see the subtle you know signs or to maneuver through somebody who is threatening them or or who is rewarding them or who is threatening their parents or they're just not going to tell you even if they have a wonderful relationship like i did like yeah. we talked to our parents about everything and and there was no way when i thought that somebody was watching us and that i could be vaporized and that my father could be you know killed my sister could go yeah. blind I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to tell because yeah. I was protecting them. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting with religious dogma, whatever your kind of background in that it's interesting how much he took, you know, pretty universal stories like Joseph, yeah. Jesus, and Mary yeah. story and literally twisted that into mm -hmm. a story that was plausible to a 12 year old. Like my mother's name is Mary. Yeah. I'm a special person. I'm supposed to have a baby to save a dying planet. Yeah. I mean, it, at first glance, people are like, that's just, how could you believe? But I'm like, sense. what do you We're mean? We've been dressing up and doing the Christmas story in yeah. the living room every, every, you know, Christmas Eve. And yeah. it's not that hard. And that's, that has a term, you know, that's a brainwashing, a tactic. It's called inculcation. You take something familiar, you twist it, you insert some new information so that it's super plausible. It happens to adults too. Yeah. And so yeah. those are the kinds of things that I find fascinating about my story, but I also find them relatable. Like, you know, if, and if the series had been focused on, you know, the fact that we were Mormon, I think it would have taken people out of the I fact agree. that there's a ton of people who are, who have some sort of, whether it's a religious belief or, or just a certain ethical moral code yeah. and a really ma good master manipulator knows exactly how to take what's important to you and figure out a way to twist it 
to yeah. their own design. Yeah. And I think that's the part that I hope is relatable to I think it is. Everyone. I mean, I saw I saw the first episode and I of course, you know, have I've devoured everything you've put out and <laughs> and it it really comes through, I think in a lot of ways, both in what you're putting yeah. out but then also within the show too. And just the the other thing about your father in the documentary and in the show that Colin Hanks plays that I think is so striking is it's 1972, you're in a fairly conservative state, Idaho, and you're a Mormon. So that's also a very fairly conservative yep. mm-hmm. sort of traditional family structure. And uh-huh. there is this man right. who is struggling uh-huh. to control and to be the father and provider and protector of children and his wife, and yet is also so soft and sensitive. And it's this sort of the the emasculation of your yeah. father by this person who it's just, it's so poignant to me that I, I was so struck by your father in this whole yeah, story. Yeah, and, it, and how- it, you know, my dad didn't talk in details to hardly any of us. We knew, sort of, <laughs> I mean, we yeah. sort of knew that there'd been a thing that had happened like one time that my dad, you know, went immediately to the, to the repentance, you know, process of the of course, church yeah. and, and immediately, you know, said, Marianne, I, I'm, he, he didn't never say details, but I, I have something that happened and I'm going to take care of it. And I love you. And I, yeah. you know, it was all that. And of course this all happened before the first kidnapping. I think in the documentary, the timeline gets a little, yeah confusing. So this is all before the first kidnapping. And it's interesting because my father is an identical twin. So he has an identical twin brother. So he had uh, someone with him his whole entire life. They were like superstars in Pocatello, Idaho. They'd walk on their hands to high school. (laughs) You know, they were, (laughs) they were, everybody loved both my uncle Dick and my father. Yeah. And so my dad grew up with a lot of, um, you know, uh, a best friend that was his, that was his twin brother. And so obviously masturbation was something that happened, right? (laughs) You know, and they had their their, their family, their extended family was, you know, farm, beautiful ranch down in Cache Valley. So, you know, as much as it's shocking to people, to me, I'm like, you know, Birch told could make you feel like you were 16 years old. It wasn't shocking at all to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because I'm like, my dad was one of the best human beings on the planet as is my mother and it was so uh shocking to me that people didn't get that and that we had enough people that were so critical of them like they were blaming them and i'm like my parents are the most amazing people on the planet i'm only half normal because of them they both were victims of virtual as well i think in a lot of ways absolutely that that psychology is what the documentary does so well and colin hanks is so good Mm-hmm. He comes from a family of humor, which I didn't yeah. know until I got yeah. to meet him. He yeah. comes from, you know, a, a wealth of, uh, you know, he's a father himself. He yeah. he literally brought so much of my wonderful father to the character. But I realize it's, you know, it's his own. But it's yeah. also when I did, I got to do a scene. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that mm. with Colin. Mm. And every time that he would break down, I felt like my dad was just sitting right Mm. behind him. I literally saw him so fully there, so fully in approval. (laughs) And to me, that's what I wanted to feel, that someone could portray my father for the, the kind, sensitive, good man that he was who literally 
taught us all to love everyone. Our, yeah. our door was an open door. We had friends from every, I mean, our neighborhood, you know, we were, we grew up in Idaho. So it wasn't quite like Utah where every, yeah. everybody almost is Mormon. It was, you know, maybe 30% of our neighbors we went to church with and the other 70% we were, we were just friends with, and they were from, yeah. you know, university professors, you know, and it was a, a wide variety of people and they were all in our house and welcome. And we, we knew them. And wow. so I was exposed to a lot of different um, kinds of people. And my dad made sure of that because to him, there were two things that mattered, how you loved your mm. neighbor and how you showed your love for God. I mean, those really were the basics of his whole life and even all of his humor you know would result around that he'd say he'd say two things i love you and the gospel's true you know he would say <laughs> these little things that just yeah. always brought us all laughter so that it never was like it was not like a bible thumping kind of religious home it was a very loving open home i i had a really wonderful childhood yeah that's something i tell a lot of people because i'm no longer mormon i, I converted to yeah. Judaism years later and to judaism I, did you say yeah judaism oh, and wonder, my, i have a couple friends who did that also yeah, i yeah. love that my, my <laughs> okay, family is still mormon my family is still uh -huh. mormon but one right. of the things that i often say and what i think is so interesting about your story and what's so i think needed with your story is that there's a lot of misinformation out there about Mormonism, but I think your family really shows the goodness of yeah. the Mormon family structure in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, how they're, well, you and know, just having a community of, yeah. of support. I mean, I was not badly treated at all when I went into finally, you know, I thought I had to go tell my bishop about what had happened in the, in the, you know, icky stuff in yeah. that realm. And he practically crawled across the desk. He's like, Oh no, 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 you didn't do anything wrong. You yeah. know, he was just so loving, you know, my, yeah, Tom Myers was his name. One of my dad's other best friends. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. We were surrounded by people that truly loved my parents and truly loved our family, that they were the real deal. And we had so much support, you know, from that community and our community at large, but that yeah. religious community was a, a true, I mean, godsend for us at that time, yeah. you know, because yeah. I'm a cautionary believer. I, yeah, I explore course. lots of things, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not as, I'm not as traditional as I, as I once was, but I think it's because I have seen, you know, both sides mm. of, of the coin and the world. And what I really want is for people to wake up, notice, mm. speak up and others to listen and then to take action and to do that, you have to be willing to see all of it, the good, yeah. the bad and the ugly. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's a wonderful <laughs> thing to end on actually. That's thank you for oh that. And, and everyone can go buy your book and listen to your podcast. And then of course, watch the show on Peacock. I know it's so exciting right now. Thank you <sighs> so much for sharing this moment with me. I'm, I'm just honored and I'm honored to know you. Oh, Please thank you. It's been a real sharing your story a little bit. Do you love true crime as much as I do? Because honestly, it's how I relax, which like, I don't know what that actually says about me, but I just, I love true crime. Give me a nice little like, you know, true crime show on like a Wednesday afternoon and I'm, I'm kind of in heaven, which is, yeah, disturbing, I guess. Anyway, let me know what you thought about today's episode. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, please leave a little rating and review and maybe share it on social media. 
For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. And while you're there at Newsweek.com, be sure to subscribe to Newsweek's For the Culture newsletter. You can also subscribe to all the other great newsletters that Newsweek is putting out because we are on top of that. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. 